0: Week one of our Advent series, Living in Between, was about hope. And when we have the hope of Jesus Christ, hope changes everything. Week two was about the presence of God. When you have the presence of God, it brings the peace of God. And week three has everything to do with joy. If you're like me, you are living in this time where you have ordered Christmas gifts online and you are hopefully awaiting their arrival as it's getting closer and closer to Christmas. And everything seems to be delayed, and we await to receive that all necessary notifications to our phone that says, Good news, your package has arrived. Are you hearing me? Good news, your package has arrived. We are waiting for that. It's been bought and paid for. It's been promised. We are now waiting, and when it arrives, there is good news. So what I tell you today is the same thing that I told you last week about peace. If we're waiting on peace on earth, if we're waiting for joy to be available, it arrived years ago. Through the coming of Jesus Christ. Would you turn with me again in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Now, I will tell you that we're going to read verses 8 through 20, but we're not going to get to all of them. As I've learned in my preparation, if we were to preach verses 8 through 20, we'd be here till Tuesday. So, we've cut it down to about 30 minutes. Hopefully, I'll pick this back up again one day soon. And we're going to focus in on a few verses from this passage But I think it's important to read the whole passage because God's Spirit may speak to you before I ever start preaching. And I want to read the Bible and let God's Spirit do His work and then we'll get to the message that God's given me. In verse 8, the Bible says that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God has The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Y'all, I know we've prayed, and I just really feel led to pray once again. Lord, we need what you've got, all of it. And Would you please speak to us? Would you clear our mind and heart of any distraction? And Lord, would you help us to understand the next steps we need to take on our side and what you're working for on your side? Lord, would you challenge us and change us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 8 and 9, again, the scripture says that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby and they were guarding their sheep. According to the book of Luke, the shepherds were the first to hear this news. Now, I want you to hear this today, but I want you to hear it a little bit different. In this that we are looking at, God came down. God came down. And the angels of heaven were before the shepherds and revealing to the world for the first time to them, to this audience, the best news that anyone could ever receive has come. The the best thing that, that they could ever hear about was now in front of them. What the world had been waiting on, whether they know it or not, was now here. And the first to hear of this good news, according to Luke, were common laborers. Guys working out on the field. And these were not royal shepherds. These were not like these shepherds that represented something amazing. They were not fulfilling some Old Testament prophecy. These were were like, if we're studying, you may think that right now is the time where I'm going to bring to point that these guys were super spiritual and they were the most respected men of their day. And actually, that's probably the opposite of the case. These were just regular guys at work on the night shift. Ordinary people doing an ordinary job. And isn't this a good reminder to all of us today that we're just people. We're just people that need God, all of us. Every single one of us. The people that you spoke to this morning, the people that you didn't. The people in your neighborhood that you wave at, the people on the way to your neighborhood that you wouldn't pick up off the street. We're all just people. We're all just people that that need God. And we may have wealth, rank, privilege, or status, but there's no one up on righteousness. We are all in need of God. The scripture says that God shows no favoritism. The Bible says in every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Now when you see that scripture, what we're not looking at is a universal kind of thing of God to where all people, no matter what they do, think, say, and the ideas they have are favored by God. The scripture says in every nation, plug the missions, in every nation he accepts those to fear him and do what is right. We are accepted on the terms of God. This is what it says in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 through 35. That said, some commentary suggests that these shepherds, while they were just common laborers, they were the most socially undesirable guys. They were the outcasts. They were considered disreputable and unclean because of the nature of their job. They were the least likely for angels to show up and deliver news of a holy God. This is really, really interesting to me. That God did not send his heavenly host to the temple. God did not send his heavenly host of angels, the armies of heaven, to a home where someone was on their knees praying and awaiting the Messiah. No, God showed up with his angels before people that needed him. So this gives us an idea that we, too, are grateful to hear his message because we, too, need him, It's very likely that God's angels were in front of common labors that just before they arrived, one of them may kick the sheep and cussed, and the other one told an off-color joke a few minutes before. See, this is God trying to get the people that need him. Do you know what the Scripture says? Healthy people don't need a doctor, y'all. Sick people do. This is why we reach out. How selfish it would be for us to enjoy all this joy and peace and glory and forgiveness of God and think that you may or may not deserve it on the outside. Lord, have mercy. God showed up to the shepherds because the shepherds were in need. He showed up to the common man because all people need God. sometimes we want to share the gospel with people in ideal situations that are not broken. Seriously, when we think about communicating the gospel to people so that people will get saved, we're hoping that it is often in front of like a class with little angel children and God's spirit comes down and yes, we all want to be baptized and glory to God. But if you want to take the gospel, you got to go to where people are broken. That's where you go. All people need God. Every one of them. And this is a good reminder to us all that if God revealed his arrival to common people with sin and in need of saving, do not have a class of people in your mind that are worthy of hearing the gospel from you. Do not have a class of people in your mind that probably will be saved, but these probably won't. You see, the shepherds were in that category of these probably won't, and that's who God went to first. Let that be something that we take with us today, that when we pass people by this week and we have an opportunity to have a conversation that matters, don't assume that they won't believe the gospel because they look different, because they may think different. This is who God put the gospel in front of. Verse 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Now, the beginning of verse 9 paints this picture Of like a Christmas ornament. This warm, comforting, glorious radiance of God. Can you feel it? But the reaction of the shepherds was more like we felt before when we've had a bad weekend of decisions and then we skip on up into church. Holy terror. Terrified of being in the place before God's holiness. They were terrified. They were scared to death. Freaked out. You'll find this same reaction from godly people all throughout the scriptures. The judge Gideon, the prophet Isaiah, the priest Zechariah. All speaking of when they were in the presence of God's holiness, all of them were thinking, I'm done. I'm doomed. I'm out. God is holy. Oh God, spare me. This is what they were feeling within the presence of God. The scripture says in Exodus 3 that Moses covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Honest question for us all. When's the last time we've bowed low before God? When is the last time we have physically gotten on our knees before the holy Lord God Almighty? When is the last time we've been on our face before God? Is it when we need Him desperately? What about when we just recognize who He is? When's the last time that that we have been to our soul fearfully and awe, or fearfully because of who he is and who we are not. When God's holy presence is made known in the scripture and in our life, there ought to be a terrifying fear for the sinner and an awesome awe from the saint. That's what should happen. Is it that we are in sin and we measure ourselves up against a holy God? There should be a terrifying feeling of I'm doomed and God forgive me. But if we are in Christ and know who He is, every time we pray and every time we sing, we should feel the reverent awe of God. You are holy, Lord God Almighty. As the scripture says, glory to God in the highest heaven that He is above. This is such a reminder that this is not just about an every Sunday come to preaching, hearing the Bible kind of church. But an acknowledgement of the Almighty One and Only God. They were terrified, man. They were terrified. Our culture moves us to be more casual. And in a lot of ways, I'm fine with that. I'm fine not wearing a suit and tie every Sunday. I had a lady tell me not long ago, she said, I love listening to you on Sundays, but you need to put on a tie. That's the truth. She said, It's the truth. I'm sure some of you may be thinking the same thing. That's all right, too. I actually enjoy the casual part of it. I get that. But listen, the presence of God is to never be casual. The presence of God is to never, ever be taken lightly. Verse 10 says, But the angel reassured him, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. You see, while God's glory leads to fear, I love this part, God's message leads to fear not. God's message leads to fear not. We, we talked about this Wednesday night. We are working for the glory of God. We are saved for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, and it just so happens by His goodness, the glory of God works for the good of us. And so this is why the message to man is fear not. Now, let's talk about joy for the rest of our time because the scripture says, Fear not, for I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Isn't it interesting that when he appeared before the shepherds, when the angels, the message, when they appeared before the shepherds, the the message was, don't be afraid, and then it's about joy. I bring good news of great joy to all people. Now, joy is not just a feeling. More than a feeling. Right? More than a feeling. I did that last service, and I didn't even have it written down, and it got like a reaction. I was like, all right, I'll do it again. If that's, will help you hang on. That's one of those songs, I don't know what the next part is. I don't even know what it is. But it is. Joy is not just a feeling. It's it's, And so forever stop thinking that it is that will help you today it really will help you I don't think we should read good tidings of great joy and think of the warm and fuzzies and think of the happy feelings we should think of and we think of the word joy when we see it in our neighborhood when we turn right into our neighborhood there, the first house there on the left has joy and big bulb cutter lights And when you see it, it will almost make you feel those warm feelings. But that's not what it's about. Joy is not a happy feeling. Joy is a solid and expectant attitude. Now, even as I say that, we're tempted to want to be like, yeah, but let's talk about the other. Let's talk about happiness. I was really hoping we were going to get to that at some point. Let's talk about that. But here's the deal. That may be the problem. It may be the problem that it is our desire for the warm and fuzzies. It is our desire for us to have that feeling met that we are searching for. So again, for the rest of your life, stop thinking about joy in terms of the feeling. Because joy can be felt in a season of happiness, but joy can also be present in a season of suffering. You can have joy in the worst time of your life. For example, in Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 52, Paul and Barnabas were were sharing the good news with the Gentiles. They had taken it to the Jews, but a lot of the Jews were rejecting it. And so God had allowed them to take it to the Gentiles, to all the other folks. And so when they went there to take that, the Jews then didn't like that either. And so the Scripture says they got up a mob together and began to run them and their leaders out of town. Get out! And the leaders were shaking the dust of their feet and moving on. But the Scripture says at the end of that passage in verse 52 of Acts chapter 13... And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Say what? Filled with joy. The Bible says that they were run out of town. Get out. We don't like you. Don't want to see you again. And they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now how does that work? Well, it's because they knew the word of God. Because in Matthew chapter 5 verse 12, the scripture says, Jesus said to rejoice if persecuted because a great reward awaits you in heaven. So you can have joy in a good feeling, but you can have joy in a bad feeling as well. Let me ask you a question that really has helped me this week. What if there's a deeper level of satisfaction than what you desire? What if there's a deeper level of satisfaction that God can give that can be even greater for the satisfaction of you getting what you feel for? What if there's that? One of the the precious people that came into Christmas House that I got to speak with, we sat down and she began to tell me a little bit about her story, and I listened, and again, it's, it's my intentional hope that I will turn the message towards things that really matter according to the Word of God. And she began to tell me about her family. She began to tell me that the relationship that she is in currently, and even when I asked her about what she'd like to pray for, she wanted to pray for that relationship The truth is, is that she went on and I began to talk about the purpose of God, the will of God, the standard of God for her life and for her relationship. She was so wrapped up in the desire to feel within that relationship, she completely missed the message. I don't even think she heard me. And it had everything to do with her desire, which she felt was so great that it prioritized above everything else, even that which God may give her, that's better than the feeling. We tend to turn the volume up on our feelings and our desires so much that it drowns out anything else that God could bless us with. C.S. Lewis explained, this is so good, C.S. Lewis explained that our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. He explained that we are like a child playing in the mud, making mud pies, because we can't imagine a vacation at the beach. The joy of God, which is a fortified attitude, A fortified attitude based on the rock-solid promises of God is often ignored in our life for a feeling that's based on circumstances that may come or may go. So as we have said, joy is more than a feeling. Joy is also defined, and let me redefine it again, joy is a fortified attitude based on the promises of God. And because God is always faithful, His promises are always true. So it's not a joy without hope, it's not a joy without basis, it's a joy based on God. And God is always faithful. God has promised His presence, and His presence is true. God has promised you forgiveness. If you have forgiveness, you have the kingdom of God now. You've got eternal life now. God's presence we have, God's forgiveness we have, and ultimately God has promised us eternity. Life everlasting in heaven To those who repent of their sins and believe the good news that Jesus is the way to God and the way to be forgiven. Joy is not determined by the now, joy is determined by the then. Catch that. When I've been on a mission trip, and if you've been on a mission trip, you've experienced this too. When I've been on a mission trip that's lasted days, and and I have left home to go cross cultures under the leadership of Brother Eric and Brother Dusty and all those that came before, and we've gone and we've served on mission, you get your work in and you work for the glory of God, and then there may be a day at the end where you get to kind of take in the culture. There may be a day at the end where you get to see sights that maybe you've never seen before and maybe that you will never see again. You have this opportunity for just... A few hours and the truth is that this may be short-sighted but it doesn't matter to me one way or another if we see one of the seven wonders of the world or whether we look at a wall it doesn't matter to me I won't get too high or too low either way because my attitude is adjusted on the promise that I'm gonna get on a plane get off that plane see my wife and my two kids so we can go see waterfalls animals whatever y'all want to or we can sit here and twiddle our thumbs because I'm not going to get up or down either way for those things because my attitude is adjusted to the relationship that will be fulfilled in just a little while. That is joy. That is joy. It's not a feeling. It's a fortified attitude based on the promise of what's to come. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 22, verse 26, The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise Him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. Notice that that's future tense. Everlasting joy is coming. That we will be eat, we will eat and, and be satisfied. That is a present tense. But there's a, there, there's a future tense. But the present tense says, All who seek the Lord will praise Him. So we praise Him while we wait for Him. This is the teaching of what joy really is. It's a fortified attitude built on the promises of God That don't break or fall. That we will experience everything that God's got to give because of His glory and for our good. And so we will rest in that, walk in that, live in that, regardless of what the circumstances around us may be. Therefore, because joy is not a feeling, stop chasing a feeling. If there's any word that I could give to the church in 2020, it's possibly this is gonna fit in the top five of one of those words. Stop chasing a feeling. Stop chasing what God is not trying to give you to fulfill you. Stop chasing the next purchase. Stop chasing the next compliment. Some of us, let's be honest, we put things on social media so that somebody will comment on it because the ones that we want to comment on it won't do it. So that's why we do it. That's why we make those purchases we know we don't need to so that our desires can be fulfilled. That's why we are constantly pursuing the next relationship, the next meal, the next whatever. Stop thinking about the next feeling and start thinking and focusing on the fact that you have God and for eternity, that's the greatest fulfilling relationship we'll ever need. If you're in need of a holy attitude adjustment today, which we all are, We all need a holy attitude adjustment. I know that I do. I promise you the word of God gets to me before it ever gets to you on Sunday. But if we are feeling this today, that we have all of these feelings that are not being met, let's adjust our attitudes to joy. And how do we do that? Don't pick up your little devotional and read it for five minutes in the morning. Saturate yourself with the word of God. I mean, take it in. Well, how often? How often do you need it? Every moment. Well, I guess you're going to have to read it every moment. I'm serious about that. When I find myself dedicated to the Word of God and God's truth speaks over me, I can walk. Not only that, sing a new song. Sing a new song that gives you fresh, fresh perspective of praise that He is deserving as He is keeping you under the fulfillment of salvation. And have conversations with encouraging people. People that are not going to pour into your feelings, but that are going to pour into your faith. A lot of those conversations happen at church, but you've got to get to know people to have those conversations. You've got to make the church smaller, and every church that you would attend, it's going to be too big until you get to that circle. Until you get in that, that group that can actually learn you, and you learn them, so that you can have those conversations that will remind you of the joy that you have. Charles Swindoll said that joy is a choice. It's a matter of attitude that stems from one's confidence in God, that he is at work, that he is in full control, and that he is in the midst of whatever happens is happening now or will happen. Joy is is more than a feeling. It's a fortified attitude built on the promises of God that must be realized day after day in the life of a Christian. But I also want to leave you with this. Joy is not just a choice. So it's not all on you. Joy is produced by God's Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God, the Bible says. And the Spirit of God works on the inside of us. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. There it is, somebody over here. Where? That's unfair. Stacy, you were in the first service, weren't you? I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. The joy is is down in our heart. Down in our heart is where God works. God's Spirit works on the inside of us to produce on the outside of us we we cannot get to ourselves. So it's not like God is just saying choose joy and enjoy the search. But He's working on the inside of us to produce that. That's why you're here. He's reminding you of who He is and what He's promised. He reminds you when you're away from here of, of who you're not when you sin who He is when you sin and how you need Him, who the righteousness of God is, that He does not break promises. All of this is being built up within the life of the believer by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces good fruit. What is that? It's good results in the life of a believer. And one of the figurative results that the Bible lists that the Spirit of God produces is joy. So God is working on it inside of you. Trust that. And why not give it a look? But you know what's interesting? If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, one of the inside characteristics that God's Spirit is not working to produce is happiness. You won't find it in there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit of God. You don't find happiness in that list because God knows that you're going to need happiness. You're going to need something greater than happiness to fulfill you through this life. And he's got something even better to sustain you because while you are experiencing the attitude of joy now, joy will not be an attitude in heaven. It will be an experience, y'all. Because we will be fulfilled in the right relationship with God. That will be everything that we've ever needed. Now, Finally, joy is kept. Now, we've talked about joy is more than a feeling and what joy is and how it's produced by the Spirit of God. Let's talk about how we keep it. How do we keep joy? If we are in Christ, God's joy is given to us. We understand exactly what that is. How is it kept? Joy is kept through the obedience to God. Now, this is our responsibility. Look in the Scripture in John chapter 15, verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. This is what the Bible says. Jesus said, I have, speaking to his disciples... I have loved you even as the Father has loved you. Or even as the Father has loved me. And he says, Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. When we are obedient, we remain within the love of God. Jesus says, Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in His love. And then he says, I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So joy and the fortified attitude that you're going to be all right and bust heaven wide open is balanced with obedience unto God. Now, how in the world does that work? Let me provide maybe an illustration. A couple of nights ago, my family uh, was at a a wedding rehearsal. And after the rehearsal, as as my wife and I often do, we found ourselves talking to someone that we love. And we were hanging around and everybody else is gone and we're standing there talking. Well, while we are talking, our children are playing, and they're playing outside, but see, our children, one, our sons at 10 and our daughter at 7, they don't play like, you know, patty cake and, you know, this stuff where it's real peaceful, like, they're like trying to slap each other in the face at times, right? Like, it's, this is a reality of it, like they're chasing one another, and they're having fun, and we want them to have fun, we just don't want one to kill each other in the process, so, so everything's great, and they're having fun, but at the same time, it gets a little too rowdy, right? And so my wife and I both are like, hey, y'all stop, please stop. Don't chase each other down the concrete steps and trip each other, things like that. And so as we are talking to them, it kind of rolls on as we have set the standard for how we want them to be. And then where we're at in Athens, there, there's a the, uh, beautiful church there. There's a nativity scene out front, and then our kids begin to make their way towards that beautiful nativity scene. And our daughter is actually wanting to try to be a part of the nativity scene, much like Macaulay Culkin on Home Alone, right, as as he he tries to escape and whatever, if you've seen that movie. So she's trying to, like, make her way in. Well, as as soon as she tries to take one step into the nativity scene, and I've already called it, and I'm like, stop. As soon as that happens, the clock strikes six, and at that church, bells go off at, at the top of the hour. So as soon as she gets like 1 foot like this, it starts going dong, dong like that, like right, I mean in unison. And so she pops up and she runs back to me and she's like, "Daddy, did did what happened? Did I set off an alarm? Did an alarm go off?" And I was like, "Yes it did. Get your tail in the truck cuz the police are coming." <laughs> like we're <laughs> they're on their way. Get buckled up. It occurred to me when, when thinking about how obedience helps us remain in joy. How are those two things connected? Had she remained with me, she would have never questioned if she was okay. If she would have done what I had told her to do, what Brittany and I were instructing them to do, if they would have remained with us, there would never have been an inside doubt that everything wasn't going to be okay she was stated stayed within the parameters, stood beside me, walked with me, she would have looked straight at me and known, you're good and everything's all right. But when we get outside of the standard that is set for us and something doesn't go the way we want it to, that's when we begin to think that everything's falling apart. Joy is maintained as we walk in obedience with God. Remain in Christ. How can you fix the feeling today of maybe you don't know if you got it or not? Start walking with God if you have a right and real relationship with God. You will experience an overflowing joy, a fortified attitude of confidence and the promises of God because of God. Now, let me close with this. Maybe a message like today leaves you with the feeling of, I appreciate what you're saying, but I just can't get there. I really can't. I can't get there. I cannot comprehend an attitude of joy if I've lost everything. I can't wrap my mind around that, and so I don't think that I would ever have joy if we were like Job and everything fell apart. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I if I don't get this fulfilled desire that I seek, I still again I don't get it. I, I don't gain. Joy and I don't get what I desire. So how does all this work? I, I, I don't buy it. I can't comprehend it. Well, that's just the thing. We can't imagine joy within an unfulfilled feeling. And we can't imagine joy if everything falls apart. Because we can't build it or maintain it to begin with. We cannot experience joy apart from God. We cannot experience joy if we're not walking with God. And the joy that God would give would be so much better than even the feelings we have for what we think we desire. This is why our greatest need in our life is not to have everything on our list given to us. Our greatest need in our life is to know God and to make Him known, to live within His purpose for us. There's fulfillment when you're working for the Lord. Joy is what happens as a result of knowing and clinging to God. And here's the good news. He welcomes the clinging. He would love for you to walk with him each day, to seek him moment by moment, to stay and remain within him so that you will experience the joy that he is giving to be produced by his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for being here today. It is our desire to help you. This is why we have an invitation. If God, if if you're like that man at Christmas house and you know that the Lord has spoken to your heart, spoken to your mind, and it's time for you to respond, we have this time of invitation because we just want to help you. We have pastors at the front. I'll be down here. You can come and say a short sentence to me like, I need to be saved, or we want to join the church, or I need to be baptized. Real simple. We can help you take it from there. I, maybe you think that's great, and I really appreciate the invitation, but, but what else you got? Well, uh, we'd love for, to give you that opportunity to make that public profession, but on our guest card, there's a place there for you to actually mark a decision and leave it with us in the bucket, our offering buckets on your way out. We really do just want to help you. But, y'all, this is also an opportunity to realize what we've already got. If we have a right and real relationship with God, it might be time for us to just get on our knees, on our face before God, because God is holy, and we are not. And he gives us things that we cannot produce within ourselves. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for joy. God, we we glory in you. Because joy is not something that we can give ourselves. Lord, there are many here today because of the joy in their heart. There's no other explanation why they would get up and come to church. Because they don't feel like singing. They don't feel like attending. They don't feel like... People asking how they're doing. But there's joy in their heart. Their attitude is settled. And they still live based on your promises. Lord, I thank you for those people that are an inspiration to me. May we all find ourselves so faithful. God, we thank you for sending your son. For the work of the promises. Lord, for sending your son, giving of yourself. So that we may have life eternal because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, and I pray that your spirit makes that plain in the heart and mind of one or many today. Lord, would you lead us into this time of invitation? Would would we be honest with ourselves and honest with you? As we turn from us and turn to you now, Lord. To fix what's broken, to give us what we need. Lord, so that we can live faithfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you.